getting, Jim. But not as we know it. This is This is Bashcast, episode number... One, seven, ten. It is 20 minutes past 20pm on Tuesday the 26th of October 2021. This evening's Bashcast, I shout at somebody as I'm nearly involved in a car crash. Despite being one of the winningest golf winners of 2021, my team still bust a bankroll. So we discuss about bankroll management golf, and am I going to go to the WSOP? Big question there. RIP to an old friend, the great sports offers, finally come to a conclusion and we've gone through a testing phase can we find some new edges in football coupons in markets that we haven't looked at before in the shops well we've got some technology to help us out that's for sure discuss all of that on one year of the horse racing tracker we have a look at the ROI the return on investment and warn against the dangers of looking for patterns in randomness. It is human nature. Talking about human nature, we finish with another segment of the hugely popular Why You're a Prick. All of that and more coming up in the Bashcast this evening. I have just spilt some uh, San Pellegrino all over my shorts. What a brilliant way to start the Bashcast. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm up in um, Bonnie, Scotland this week. Rather unsurprisingly, the plan was that um, Jen and the kids were going to go up to Scotland. And I, um, I've i been um, doing a lot of um, 
Uh, I don't like daddy daycare. That's not really the word, is it? Because I'm a dad. What else am I going to do other than look after the kids? But Jen's been working away a lot. And that means that I've had the kids, which kind of like why three weeks without Bashcast, it's just impossible to record this when I'm doing all breakfasts and getting them to nursery and school and everything like that. Uh, and then doing the evening carnage. And then by the time they're down, I'm going down at the same time because I'm just as tired as them. So um, they were going to go to Scotland and I was going to have a few days to recuperate. And then as they were going to Scotland, I started feeling desperately sad that I was going to miss all of them. <laughs> and I didn't, and then I thought about all those days on my own. What was I going to do? Hit, hit the Peloton for three hours a day, do loads of work and boogie bashing and sleep and not see anyone. Didn't seem like a lot of fun. So very last second, after the whole car was packed, I uh, packed my office up into the car and joined them. So I'm up in Scotland for a few days, unexpectedly. Um, uh, I've just been for a run out in the borders the borders of Scotland, in the countryside outside of Hoyk, where my in-laws live. It's an absolutely beautiful afternoon up here. It is horizon to horizon, blue skies. There isn't a cloud to be seen for the entire day. And only in Scotland could it still start raining on me when I'm out. And I'm looking up and I'm going, where's it coming from? I don't, it don't, where is it coming from? There isn't a cloud in the sky. What is this that's falling on my head? Let's not think too much about that. So it was a nice afternoon. Anyway, um, but yeah, I, I just desperately thought that I was uh, going to miss the kids, so I couldn't stay away from them, despite the fact, as I say, I mean, I think it was a good three weeks, sort of four, five days in a row during the week. You know, I'm, I'm not really moaning. There's loads of people out there that have to juggle looking after their kids and their work, and possibly it's, it's maybe slightly easier. Is it, is it easier or is it not as easy when you're self-employed? I don't know. One of the days, though. I lost, so I'm quite a, I'm a relatively calm customer. I don't lose my uh, patience or my rag or kind of shout or lose my cool. I was, I would say very often, but kind of ever. You know what I mean? It's just not in my nature. Um, uh, which can make it me very irritating to have an argument with if you really fancy an argument because I'm not very good at uh, reciprocating that. Anyway. Um, I'm also an extremely annoying driver, like the most annoying driver, because I, I think I've said before in the Bashcast, have no interest in cars, I've no interest in speed, I've no interest in Formula One, I've no interest in alloy rims, I've no interest in Deutschsprung techniques, um, just not interested in cars at all. And when I'm driving, uh, I would rather drive really slowly uh, and get to my destination with me and all of my passengers in one piece. Part of it was I used to work as a civil engineer uh, on the M25. You saw the lads would go out and they would see death pretty much daily, and I'm not exaggerating that, and some of it was pretty horrific death. And all of it was very sad because it was preventable. Um the people that had caused the accidents were just driving a bit recklessly almost all of the time. So I do the opposite. If I'm on the motorway, I'll sit at 60 miles an hour in lane one behind the lorry and I'm in no rush to go anywhere. I'll put some nice tunes on. Everything's good. The world is a lovely place. Slow down and enjoy it a little bit. The only place you're speeding too fast is accident and emergency, pal. So... I'm a slow driver and I make no 
apologies about that either. And um, I leave to get the kids to school, which I always find, I don't know why I'm finding that so stressful just now, because I've never missed them going to school. Like I've never not got them to school in the morning. I think it is asking my daughter to put her shoes on 18 times. And then when we leave the house, she turns to me and goes, she hasn't got her shoes on. Anyway, um, we go down and um, my kids go to school in the countryside um, in this very rural, very pretty school in the middle of the fields in Worcestershire, uh, down from the church, which is the setting for the archers. I bet he didn't know the archers had a setting and was from a real place, but it is. And the school in the archers is my kids' school. Um I've lost all my NFTs and Bitcoin, by the way, before any kidnappers decide to descend down there with their Kalashnikovs and AK-47s. There's no point. I'm broke. <laughs> um, so I go down there. And one of the issues with the school being so rural is it's on a country lane. And I feel like as cars have got safer over time, um, recklessness has got gotten higher. I think in previous times where risk of injury and death in cars um um was significantly higher because you know they, they weren't as strong and they weren't as good as braking and everything like that people were probably a little bit more careful around country lanes and this school is right on a country lane and it's a primary school full of primary school children and it's on the corner of a country lane and they haven't sorted out doing a 10 mile an hour zone past it just now it's still 40 mile an hour but either side of the 40 mile an hour it's 60 miles an hour and that and people just ignore the, the the 40 mile an hour sign which isn't slow enough anyway and what can happen is there's a queue of cars often that come that you know that cannot get into the school at drop-off time because all the kids get dropped off at the same time and it's one car per kid pretty much isn't it you know um and um, it's a, just a little rural school with a little rural car park. And the cars, they queue outside of getting in and out because it's one in, one out. And it's just a disaster zone, especially with the flying cars going out. And anyway, the, if you can't get in, you might be lucky enough to get into the laybys. But they, they in themselves are dangerous because you don't want little five-year-olds and little three-year-olds walking on the country roads when cars are speeding past them so fast. Um I have actually complained a long letter to my MP um, and pulled out the old uh, the old highways engineering um, senior condition manager of the M25 and chartered engineer as the very first paragraph of this email so that they would take me seriously and then outlined all of my suggestions for exactly what they have to change to make that junction a little bit safer because it's little children that we're talking about. Anyway, I get out of the car and of course I keep my daughter, Sasha, to my left, where the school is, and I'm on the roadside, so that worst case scenario, some moron comes past, it'll be me that gets in, you know, that gets hit or something like that. My five-year-old's protected. And what happens behind me, and I hadn't seen, I hadn't seen it, but I pieced it together after the event. What happened behind me is the car behind where I was parked must have pulled out as if, right, it's time to go, or at least it's time to go and join the queue. And the car has pulled out, and a car has come careering round the corner at a rate of knots, not going the requisite 40 miles an hour, which is too fast anyway, but still doing the 60 miles an hour or even faster from the country lanes, and is going to go into the back of this car that has pulled out, and probably has no choice but to go into the 
opposite lane. Uh, and the reason it has to go into the opposite lane uh, is to avoid crashing into the car that's pulled out. The problem with the opposite lane is that a car is pulling out of the school into the opposite lane and now we're pretty much going to have a crash. And it sort of happens in slow motion, but it also happens at the speed of light at the same time. Does that make sense? It seemed like it everything slowed down to be incredibly vivid, but at the same time, I'm, it, it was only one or two seconds. And um, your man your dickhead who's going way too fast he holds his horn down and again i'm like jesus moron you're already endangering quite a lot of people around here keep two hands on the wheel your priority isn't to hold to hold the horn down i hate horns as well horns really annoy me the reason beep beep horns really annoy me cultures are different if you go around the world if you go to cyprus or greece or definitely East Asia, Vietnam, Thailand, Indonesia, Bali, places like that. People use the the car beep, the beepy beep, the, the moped beep, as a kind of, hey, beep beep, I'm here. Beep beep, hey, just over here. Beep beep, just to your right. Beep beep, just to your left. Beep beep, I'm overtaking you. Beep beep, hello, here I am. Uh, and... Um, that's kind of cool, but it's also noise pollution. Uh, you, you don't want to. You can't really have a calm life down a main road in any of those countries, can you? Um, but nobody does that in the UK or America or Australia or Western countries. People use the horn with anger in a kind of beep. I hate what you've done. Beep. Screw you. Beep. Especially the person that just loses their cool completely and holds the horn down. You like, that's actually quite funny. It's funny watching people completely not really lose their rags, although some of those people are probably very close to going Michael Douglas full falling down. Anyway, your idiot holds the horn down, thus taking one hand off the steering wheel in what is probably quite a difficult driving manoeuvre anyway. He's on the opposite side of the road and this car has pulled out to the, you know, to the side of the road that he is on. And now he screeches his uh, his brakes and uh, he slides. He starts sliding and uh, skidding along the road and he comes to a stop about eight inches away from the car that had pulled into the road and about six inches away from me. And on my left is Sasha. And I look into the car, and I will tell you this. Had the car ploughed into Sasha, there's something primeval, there's something evolutionary, I think, that wouldn't, that would have come through me, and very little would have stopped me from opening up the driver's door, dragging the driver out and causing him some harm. I remember when I was a student, when I was 21 years old, my buddy, Will, was skateboarding down this quite steep hill in Sally Oak in, um, in Birmingham. And he went around the corner and he hit a kid. He, went, he skateboarded straight into like a young child, like a three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old. And the dad turned around and beat him to a pulp, started hitting him and swinging for him. And I remember hearing the story. And at the time, I had sympathy with Will. I was like, what an extreme reaction for what is obviously an accident. 
And I suddenly realised exactly why those events happened when this idiot screeched to a halt right next to my the right of me and Sasha. And um, inside the car were a couple, an older gentleman and an older lady, maybe in their 60s, both wearing masks in a car. Masks. And the reason people wear masks is so that they don't transmit the coronavirus to other people. The reason these people were, wear, were wearing masks wasn't because of that. Because It's because they didn't have anyone give them the coronavirus. That's what they think. Anyway, but he'll still drive past the school at 60 miles an hour. And I preceded this with saying that I am a cool customer. And I pretty much don't lose my rag. And I'm stood next to the car and it's so close I can reach out and touch it. And so that's exactly what I did. And I was by the passenger side and the poor lady in the passenger seat had done nothing. She's completely faultless, uh, other than she probably should have told presumably her husband or whoever the moron was in the driver driver's side to have slowed down in the country roads past the primary school. But with an open hand, with an open palm... I slapped my hand three times or four times on the passenger window and just screamed at the top of my lungs, fucking slow down, like that, just like really loud. And there's primary school children everywhere. And like, and like all the mostly mums who are dropping off the kids are all sat in their cars or are just sat there. They're all just staring at me, but I think they're all on my side as well because I'm just here as a protectorate of the little children for the idiots that's driving uh, way too fast uh, along country lanes. And the elderly gentleman and the lady both sat in their car staring forward and did not make eye contact with me. <laughs> Neither of them turned to look at me or acknowledge that some maniac is slapping their hand and swearing at them. Um... Uh, through the through the window from the outside. No, they just sat there and stared forward. Couldn't go anywhere, of course, because there was now a jam. There was a car facing them. They were facing the car and everything like that. But yeah, uh, had he been going at even just 10 miles an hour, 20 miles an hour, or even 30 miles an hour around that corner, yeah, the car pulled out probably without looking. But guess what, buddy? You were going too fast. So slow down. I hope next time he does. And I hope you do too. If you're in the car, just slow down. You've got nowhere to go. Just turn the... Slow down. Turn the bash gas up. And let's have a nice journey together, shall we? Should we do that? Right, OK, let's kick on with some golf. Spoke um, last bash cast about um, losing runs on golf, which is quite interesting. SBC published, I think, a, a report where they ranked um, all the 2021 tipsters who uh, put their bets out every day or every week and everything like that. And starting with a particular bankroll at the beginning of the year, what would your bankroll be now? And then they ranked them all. And um, just picking a few golfers off the Plus EV tracker every week and maybe cross-referencing those against the uh, metrics graphs that we put together where we sort of have a look at each golf course, work out what the 
the top three metrics should be when looking at that golf course. You know, some golf course you want to drive accurately, others you, scrambling, etc., etc. And these are all quantifiable through places like uh, Fantasy Labs. Fantasy Labs, by the way. Listen, some guy got in touch with us recently and he said, I, I haven't done any advantage play, any gambling for months and months and months and months. I haven't even logged into my account. I thought I'd cancelled it, but I've been paying a subscription every month. And um, Duncan, um, Duncan and I spoke about it. I was like, "Well, that that's the that, that that's the kind of thing that happens sometimes. It's really bad." I mean, I actually do have a kind of irrational fear that because I don't check my bank statements very often that I've just got like things that are going out every single month to subscriptions I've signed up to, or even those stupid things that put you onto a subscription deal when you don't realise that that's what you're signing up to and it's just going out every month being wasted and um, I'm sure some people I'm sure some people um, some companies do that as a scam but when I heard this we were both like well I mean you, we could easily look how many times he's logged in it's it's in the system and it showed that he hadn't logged in in months so it's like yeah let's just refund him every single month it's quite a lot of money that we refunded him but of course he got. He hadn't logged in. He got z literally zero value. And we're not in this just to scam people. We're in this to hopefully help people and give them information. So if you're listening to this thinking, "Oh, I might get claimed the last six months," don't bother. We know exactly when you logged in. <laughs> so Fantasy Labs and the, the, this huge multi-million pound American corporation that assists people with coming up with um, um, statistics and stuff like that for their fantasy sports picks uh, in NFL and in golf and uh, you know because there's such a big market in fantasy sports in america because gambling has sports gambling has been illegal in most states for such a long time although that's getting better and i had signed up for fantasy labs a, a few uh, 15 months ago i uh, and um i knew i didn't need them um for the next 15 months but if i did i would sign up again and they're a monthly subscription thing but i don't you know i, I do do golf fantasy sports but i use my own metrics i don't use theirs. but um they are occasionally useful for some things because they've got a lot of data going backwards and they can project things and so different golf courses where i don't have information um, i can go and use them so i signed up 15 months ago and then i noticed that um um uh when i logged in I could go straight into the site. I didn't expect it to work. I went to the site to see what I had to do to re-sign up and my pa username and password was there. So I just clicked log in and I was shocked to see that I logged in and then checked the bank statements. And yep, I have been paying a subscription to Fantasy Labs for 15 months. So got in touch with live chat, just like this chat guy got in touch with um, us. Now, me and Duncan Lee... We're relatively quite a small organization. We don't have a lot of income. We don't have a lot of turnover. Um, but we saw this guy. He honestly had just forgotten about us and was asking for the six months that he uh, hadn't used back. And it was quite a few hundred pounds. But yeah, we were like, yeah, you can have it. It was longer than six months, by the way, but it doesn't matter. Because that's the, honor that's the honest thing to do. You know, we, um, he'd made a mistake. We don't want to take advantage out of him making a mistake. He wasn't angle shooting us. So it's like, yeah, you have you have your money. It's fine. It's not a problem. That's the right thing to do. And we'll turn up at the pearly gates and everything will be fine. And so optimistically, I turn around to Fantasy Labs and I say, look, last 15 months, I've been paying you $50 a month. So uh, I was just wondering, can I have the $750 back? Because 
if you look at your records, you'll see I haven't logged in once. And live chat simply goes, no, I'm afraid we cannot do that. And I pushed him, I said, that sounds like a little bit unfair. Why, why can't you just refund me some money? And he said, oh, well, our systems can't look for that, that far back in the past and they can't tell if you've logged in or not. And I was like, that's amazing because my tiny little company, which is one one thousandth the size of yours, has the ability to do that and does do that when people make honest mistakes. But you don't have the ability to do that? Okay, whatever. Karma will come to you. It will come to you. Don't you worry about that, pal. So, um, you can... Uh, Anyway, looking at these metric gap graphs and the fantasy sports that has helped. And um, according to the rankings, we... Uh, number two, not number one, but number two of the year for everyone that's tracked out of like 40 plus. Which is not bad, is it? And even us and number two go through a losing runs everyone does uh losing runs that when you know you see members going through it they, they start struggling especially people that start their golf betting journey at the beginning of the losing run and through quite a number of tournaments over a couple of months it was kind of a case of um the people that were winning and were placing were not the people who were plus ev on the trackers people there were people who were negative ev who were placing and that will happen of course um uh, our job is to strategize and to plan for that eventuality there is an expectation and a responsibility on our shoulders to work out exactly what the expected worst case scenario or even bad case scenario losing run is going to be and then bet with a bankroll in place to cope with that now the losing run um, was the worst in um, two and a half years um, that we went through between Abraham Answer winning the... What is it that Abraham Answer won? You see, it was so long ago. I don't remember. Let's go and have it, see if we can find him. Abraham, Abraham. I'm looking at a sea of red here, by the way, because after he won, it was just that nobody placed. So it's not just that he didn't win. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you why I can't find him just now. I'm looking in the wrong bleeding... I'm looking in year two. I can't find them. Abraham Answer won. God, it was a long time back, wasn't it? I don't know what he won. He won something. He won. Abraham Answer won his tournament. <laughs> I know we had Colin Marikawa in the Open, but we had someone after that. Abraham Answer wasn't was after. That. He was in the WGC FedEx and Jude, right? And then it was just a sea of like no places, which of course is going to happen, but it, it did sting. Um, there are people that joined and bet on golf over those two months and just hit nobody and got stung and then quit. And I, th those are the people actually I really feel bad when, when that happens to people. You know what I mean? Um, if you just start at exactly the wrong time, uh, um, especially because you've looked at results that, you know, have been made available um and then you expect to sort of match those results but you've joined at a at a period where things have been going well and then things go badly and then what can you do i just feel i just feel like it's a, the only thing we can do is education and bankroll management isn't it anyway um even busting a bankroll happens to the best of us we got to a position where we busted my team busted a bankroll my shop team you know, I've got a few teams and I've got, I'm betting my, myself online on the exchanges and everything like that. Um, 
And my bankroll myself, I'm betting at a level in the exchanges where, you know, I didn't even blink. It wasn't a problem. But my team, they have to worry about the physical logistics of cash in um, the shops. And quite simply, the runners ran out of cash. Uh, so I sent some emergency uh, cash to them and unbelievably busted that as well. Looking through the results, um, we were betting very aggressively and very highly on golf. The coupons, for a little bit of time, they had a good start to the season. I'll tell you what, we've had two coupons that have been like big returns that have been one goal off and didn't come in. So they've kind of been break even in that last month period. Uh, lucky 15s again break even but the golf has just been nothing nothing returned across both tournaments across the doubles and things like that and it's stung and we've been betting aggressively and highly and maybe treading water a little bit because we've always been getting the one place a week that's been enough to break even you know uh, or two places in one tournament and zero places in another it should be break even across the two tournaments and of course we've had the winners and now we've had no places week after week after week after week we actually busted two bankrolls and we had to come to a complete stop. Now, this is my team. Of course, I'm betting separately as well on the exchanges. When did we come to a complete stop? I should have seen it coming. I love the golf tournament that has the stupidest name out of all golf tournaments in the entire year, which is the Shriners Hospital for Children Open. Um, in year one, we got the winner at a huge price. Um, Kevin Nah, no, sorry, he wasn't a huge price. He was 70 to 1, but he was 110% EV at Skybet, eight places, 70 to 1. Uh, and we got him, and we were all over him. That actually started the beginning of the first long break-even period. A whole year went by where we pretty much broke even. Um, again, which is, can be expected. Until the next Shriners for Hospital for Children, which was an absolute slam dunk, um was on eight people, Justin Sue, Martin Laird, Matt Kucha, Cameron Champ, Will Zalatoris, Jochen Neiman, Matt Wolf, and Denny McCarthy. Of the eight, three finished in the top eight, including Wolf at 25 to 1, the days that Matt Wolf was 25 to 1, Zalatoris at 55 to 1, but who won? Oh, Martin Laird at 275 to 1, 116% EV, staked pretty high on that chap, returned quite a lot of money on him so that was like a uh, the double got shiner's hospital in year one got shiner's hospital in year two guess when the drawdown ended in year three that's right shiner's hospital for children sung j m uh, at 35 to 1 and that did a lot of repair very next week rory mcelroy who have been, who i've hated backing recently but at 20 and at 20 to 1 if you if you if i didn't have any metrics in front of me and i didn't have any data and i didn't have any graphs i'd have looked at that 20 to 1 and i would have laughed and i went no thank you banana ramas but no uh the math i can't i can't go against what the mathematics say i'm not allowed to i often like the mathematics tells me i've got a bet on bryson and i'm like i don't want to because he just like he disappoints so frequently but um no uh, rory mcelroy came out at 20 to 1 and uh yeah he he wins it he wins it quite comfortably as well keith mitchell was 300 to 1 hello darling how are you doing i got i got a marvel comic you've got a marvel comic which one is it it's just it's by my mom oh that is fantastic can i come down and read this with you in a minute yeah okay i'm just doing my radio can i so is that okay big kisses Good boy, love you. Mwah. Thank you very much, buddy. 
Um, Keith Mitchell, 300 to 1. Paddy Power, Betfair Sportsbook, 250 to 1. He was big EV. Staking really high on him because of the EV, because I'm staking higher on the EV, the big plus EV guys. He's got five shot lead after year two. Yes, darling. No, darling, I'm not talking to myself. I'm talking to the radio and all the people listening. <laughs> no, darling, I'm not talking to myself. Well, then maybe I am. Maybe I am. Send some mailbag in, please. Zero mailbag letters this week. Uh, so, yeah, Keith Mitchell, five-shot lead. I'll tell you what, I was getting excited. Never count your chickens after round one, after 18 holes. I was. Never count your chickens after 36 holes. With a five-shot lead, he was only... 3.5 on the exchange. As far as I was concerned, he was 1.01 and he didn't hold on to it. He just didn't hold his nerve and he was the worst. He was like two over or three over on um, the third round when Rory McIlroy went 10 under. So it was a 13-shot swing between the two of them. But yeah, I'll take that. He, uh, Rory McIlroy won the CJ Cup. And thus, we are peaking again in our bankroll. Uh, and yet, amazingly... Uh, we we went through that entire difficulty um, and my own team busted uh, two bankrolls, had to have an emergency pull of the brakes whilst we discussed a change of strategy. We missed two weeks worth of tournaments. Guess which two weeks we missed? The Shriners Hospital for Children and the CJ Cup, obviously. And if we just managed our bankroll a little bit better, we wouldn't have busted it. We wouldn't have pulled the brakes on whilst we had an emergency meeting and we probably would have been on those two guys. Uh, you live, you learn. We were betting too high. Actually, the problem was the bankroll, the cash in the hands of our runners simply wasn't liquid enough. So, um, yeah, we had our emergency call. We re-topped up. We decided that was slightly just going to lower the golf staking a little bit whilst doubling the bankroll. Um, and since then, we've just been hitting coupon wins, lucky 15 wins. Um, uh, haven't hit anything on the golf, but the rest of it started trickling in and coming in again. And we're pretty much recovering what, what we had lost. Um, it, uh, but it was an interesting. It was like, um, oh, look at that. We just lost 10 grand and... A very, very short period of time. And then we reload and we lose another 10 grand in a very, very short period of time. It's like, what's going on? It's just, why is nothing coming in? Is it, ah, that's what we're doing. We're staking too high and our bankroll is too low. So uh, this is hops back to the fact that never, ever, 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 ever um, um, have a bankroll that you can't bust. You should always be able to bust your bankroll. We busted two bankrolls and then we... Then we applied the emergency brakes right at the wrong time and then we uh, just uh, topped up and reloaded again. It's a shame that um, nothing came in in the weekend, just gone. This was the uh, Mallorca Open and the Zozo Championship. And like Smarkers was looking quite healthy after um, Rory McIlroy and um, uh, Sung Jae Im. Uh, and um, with my healthy Smarkers, I just had a look around the corner. I was like, oh, that's interesting. The WSOP main event happens to be in a couple of weeks. And uh, I do know that there is some in-law availability to look after the kids. And if I just get the hat trick, if I get Sung J.M. and if I get um, Rory McIlroy, and then if I get any of the guys that were competing, uh, Renato Paratore in the Mallorca Open, um, uh, Tommy Fleetwood, Joko Neiman, Luke List in the Zozo Championship, if I just get any of those guys, uh, I have pretty much won the equivalent of flights to Las Vegas, um, hotel somewhere for a week, and entry into the WSOP main. And I haven't played 
I think, since 2017, and I am itching because it has to be one of the easiest competitions to at least get to day two in. There's so much dead money and, so, um, you know, the... Yeah, avoid, just go there and avoid the Europeans and play against the Americans, as, as as was the case when we were playing online poker in the mid-2000s, and you will be fine. I mean, it's not a difficult strategy. Avoid anyone that's got a European accent and target people that's got an American accent. No offence. They're just, they're just not that good. Um, and so, yeah, I was like, I think I'll do it. I think I'm going to go over to the WSOP 2021, wear a mask in the Rio Hotel grind out those 10-hour days, try not to have a beer before the last level because you never know exactly when the last level of the day is going to be and the danger with me definitely is if I go too early and then the levels continue on until a certain point, then those last few hands definitely going to be a little bit looser and more aggressive. And yeah, I fancied it. And I'd actually um, had a look at um, List and Fleetwood and I was like, they are competing. I think at one stage I was about five to two shot to go over, which again... Just like uh, when Keith Mitchell was a 5-2 to two shot in my head, that was 1.01. And I had pretty much decided, yeah, I'm just going to swap my Smarkets um, golf balance from the last three weeks for flights over. 660 quid on Virgin Atlantic um, from Birmingham Airport, which isn't too bad. That's no more expensive than it was in 2017, as far as I, I'm aware, with all the challenges in the aviation industry. I was quite pleased to see that because I was kind of tight. I was like, if it's more than £1,000 in flights, I'm not going... You know what I mean? Even though I'll probably have to spend a thousand pounds on stupid resort fees when they're over there. Anyway, it's all by the by. Tommy Fleetwood didn't win. Nobody won. Full bust. Might have been uh, one. No, Tommy Fleetwood finished. Get this at a dead heat. One to set. One to eight. <laughs> a one eighth dead heat, which is still pretty much a uh, a, full, uh, a loss. A pretty bad loss as well. And so yeah, I almost got a full bust on the on the weekend just gone. And. Um, it just worked for me. I mean, it, it, I don't know why I can't just use my wider bankroll now that I've made the decision, but I just wanted to take the hat trick and take it over to the WSOP, run a £7,500 up to $10 million. You know, there's no better way of protecting your losing run than running £7,500 up to $10 million, is there? Sadly, this year, it's not going to be for me. But um, now, that I've, now that I've thought about it and now that I've got the taste for it, I think 2022, I'm definitely going to have a... My sights on then. So we say goodbye to a friend. I'm not crying, you're crying. Fix your face, goddammit. Don't be upset that it's over. Be happy that it happened in the first place. As I always tell my kids when we're leaving the swimming pool. In late 2017, a friend of mine was standing inside of William Hill, staring at a screen. 
which said a great sports offer two teams to win and all four teams to score in the premiership today 16 to 1 it didn't seem right it wasn't it was an insane price from that moment when we discovered that they were taking 500 quids on these beauties we started smashing as many of them as we could on the 15th of June 2019, we made the decision that we were going to source all 25 of them and calculate them every single day, as, at least as many as we could. Uh, a lot of the days, we would get all 25 done. A lot of the months, we would get all 30 days Great Sports Offers sourced. It was a logistical minefield. But it was worth it. Why was it worth it? Well, we knew how much we'd made between 2017 and 2019, but real record-keeping started on the 15th of June, when we started sourcing all 25. Since, since the 15th of June 2019, we have calculated the better part of 22,500 great sports offers. 22,500 great sports offers. We have calculated ourselves. And in that batch of 22,500 sports offers, 1,331 were plus EV. Can you believe that? About 6% of the offers were plus EV, but not just plus EV. Some were huge, 10%, 20%, 30%, 40%. And these aren't arbitrage bets. These aren't top price bets. This is us coming up with our own methodology for pricing something like over 42 goals in League One. Over uh, Both teams to score over three cards and over two corners in the game, or whatever. This is our, us coming up with that methodology. And... Um, Comparing it against William Hill. And we think that every time we've got a plus EV bet, we are, on average, getting about 30% return on investment. Maybe not as much as 30%. To, to be fair, the problem is I didn't record the fair odds for the first 18 months, and so I, don't, I didn't know what the average uh, uh, ROI was. But what I will tell you is that if we were using a mechanism of staking to win £200 liability on each bet, we would have staked £73,774.60 in the better part of two and a half years. We would have returned £21,401 profit for 29.01% ROI. Ludicrous, ludicrous sums, considering they were taking £500 at 20 to 1, with seemingly no upper limit just whatever the shops got the heebie-jeebies. And now they're over. I saw a message to staff saying that they are ending them because their customer feedback was they were too complicated. I went into a shop and asked the staff there why they were ending them, and they said because nobody was betting on them. I'll tell you this. It wasn't that the customers thought they were too complicated. It's that the traders thought that they were too complicated. We were the ones that were accurately benchmarking them, and they were probably turning to the junior traders going, why have we got a deficit here? Why are we running at a loss in this particular area? And it's because they were giving the junior traders these bets to price up, and they just weren't doing them very right. Or we were doing it better than them. 
and we're hardly professional traders, but it didn't seem that difficult to spot that there was value if you had a mathematical brain on your head and some nuance about odds compilation and what the odds of certain events should be, roughly, even just ballpark, without even models and stuff like that. But that by the time we started adding models to work out these GSOs, the, 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 there was one point I remember... They couldn't. I mean, this is the thing about betting plus EV bets. One, you've got to find the plus EV bets, and two, they've got to win. You know, plus EV bets can lose, and there are plenty out there that edges that are showing a negative ROI over time, despite being a mathematical edge, just because they're running under. Well, the GSOs didn't run under. There was a time where they were just all winning. And um, William Hill must have been looking at the PL, the their balance sheet, wondering why is there such a hole here. Um, uh, and the reason, of course, being that the only people, if the shops are correct, the, no, the the punters weren't betting on them. The only people that were were probably the people that knew that they were plus EV, and we were just taking them for a lot of money. Um, there were a few court cases. Remember those days? They were great. There were um, staff that didn't want to pay out. There were palped bets. There were uh, reducing the odds. Cha my favourite, I think, was um, changing the bet description um, uh, after bet settlement. So, for example, you'd be uh, you'd be placing a bet with an actual photograph of the screen and a bet slip that says you're saying over two goals in five games, and all of a sudden, when you go to pick up your money, it's a loser because they meant seven games. It's just they only uh, tell you that after you pick it up. They tried every trick in the book. You see, the two things they couldn't do is that they won. They couldn't. They couldn't accept that uh, they were really, really bad at pricing things up. Uh, and secondly, when they thought they identified an advantage player, they thought it was their right, their goddamn right, not to pay them out because we're beating them at their own game, which is completely farcical and completely wrong. It all came to a fore with the court case over the French League One goals in the first half and uh, made a mockery of both the bookmaking industry and the judicial industry, where we found out that it was the flip of a coin of which judge you got, whether you won or lost that case. Some people won, and some people lost. Exactly the same case against William Hill. But again, I always thought, why didn't they invest all of their money in just getting the odds compilation right? Why did they invest so much money in just trying not to pay out? Or limiting everyone to 25 quid, which was obviously never going to work. Anyway, last week they released um, the... which Interesting, I find this interesting because they've actually got the hardware in their shops where they have numbers 1 to 25 on these old screens in a lot of shops. Um, and I don't know what they're going to do with them now. But now what they're doing is that they are um, seemingly synchronising them with what they offer online, which isn't great. Because the problem with things being in shop, being harder to work out, uh, is that you need to make an effort to go and find it. And uh, it's that effort that puts off a lot of people. When things are online, you just need to sit at your computer. Anyone can use a model or benchmark in a million different ways to figure out if there's value. But when you're in shop, that takes effort. That's why there's it's easier to find value in shop. Things get shaped online. Well, they've got... These now replacement for the GSOs, which are the eight enhanced football odds, and they're also putting them online, which isn't great because, as I say, if something is priced quite high, quite a lot of people will probably get on it. In fact, Matchbook have started putting um, all of these offers on their market, which is never great to tell you the truth because it just means that the match betters are now just going to smash them. Although it does mean that we can probably find some. 
value at matchbook. So, for example, Getafe and Girona each to score over one goal, 15 to 2, 8.5. But the fair odds might be 6.5. It might be up at matchbook back in late 7.5. So, okay, so we're getting something there at matchbook if we're able to sort of achieve that, even after commission. I went down to William Hill just to test the water. The, uh, these are real enhanced odds. Some days they're 120% EV. I mean, today they were like 100.5% EV. Uh, but some days they're 120%. I just took a random one at 16 to 1 and put £200 on it to see what would happen. Uh, I wanted to know the PTL limit. I really didn't expect it to go through because um, uh, I knew some in this range. It was a, a, a goal in the first half of a bunch of games. Um, had been 120, 130% EV. Um, so I was expecting the call to the trade and I was just going to find out what they were going to re-offer me. But it, it went through without blinking. Okay. <laughs> All right. I don't know how long that'll last. But um, yeah, so there's some value there. Um, We'll monitor over days and weeks and months, not over a couple of days or the first couple of weeks when all of William Hill uh, senior management attention is on it. It, Regardless, the fact that there's been 120, 130% EV bets and they're taking £200 at 16 to 1 is a good start. You know, if if you'd think... uh, it would be harder at the beginning and then easier as time went on. Well, it's quite easy to get value at the beginning. So I'm not complaining just yet. I just I dislike what's happened in Matchbook because I just think they're just going to smash. The Arbors are just going to smash it so hard. William Hill online is going to get the online cut and it's going to get the shop cut and then it's going to bring the prices down. They're just, yet again, they're ruining. They're ruining it for the rest of us. That's what, this is why we can't have uh, nice things, to tell you the truth. Um... Also, at shops as well, though, we're testing out... So I wanted to test out this new system. What we've done with the coupons tracker is, well, historically, we always benchmark the coupons tracker against the exchange price. Um, some uh, Sometimes you could do quite simple mathematics. So if it was a team to win an over one goal, we'd take the exchange price and we'd subtract one nil from that. Um, uh, but in terms of fancy stuff like, um, um, you know, team to score in both halves where you... There's literally nothing on the exchange that's going to help you there. You need to have a database of XG and you need to do your own modelling for um, um, for the XG of that team in the game and then how the, the split of the goals per half and the nil-nil bias and all of that. There's nothing, there's no opportunity to benchmark that against the exchange. Now look, there are other coupon services out there. There's a there's a there's somewhere called Sharp Edge that puts all the coupons that can be just laid against the exchange. I'll tell you what, by the way, they're ninety quid a month, and they just have coupons against the exchange. And that's it. There's there's no horse racing tracker, no tools, no golf tracker, no online tracker, no shop tracker, uh, no sweet education. No, nothing. Just that. Is that okay? That's ninety quid a month, and people are paying for that. Arbors will pay for that, I guess. Uh, never been interested in the coupons that are arbable because I, I never think that there's value there. Um, so the pushes are good. You can't arb the pushes, although when the market tr- label trebles came in, you possibly could have done something clever, but I don't think anyone ever did. I've always been interested in attacking these coupons that are nothing to do with liquid exchange markets. Um, and there's quite a few out there because I thought, well, what I know is that Ladbrook's have a mechanism where they hinge everything against the exchange. And if anything comes to within 1% of the exchange price, they just cut, and it's an automatic algorithm that does it. Um, but So my question was, what about markets that don't have an exchange market? Uh, there's no arbors touching these. 
So it's only mugs and shops. And how many shops are out there monitoring them? I mean, what do you have to do? You have to go out and collect the coupons. You have to upload them on a regular basis. Then you have to have a mechanism where you have databases of what the fair odds should be. And these databases have to be proven and accurate. And then you have to be tracking in real time and have a mechanism for updating cuts. It just seems like nobody would be touching them. And so, <laughs> I want to be the one that's touching them. So, we linked up the coupons tracker to the game center markets. I can calculate anything in the game center markets. It's brilliant. There's a couple of caveats with the each half markets where we don't have something for the part the bus coefficient. But at the same time, the coupons tracker works because things are relative. And if um, uh, something is steaming in, it's steaming in whether there's a park the bus coefficient or there's not a park the bus coefficient, to tell you the truth. So I wanted to try various things. I tried five new coupons. Let's see if I can get them off the top of my head. Both teams to score in the first half I tried. T team to win both half, team to score in both halves, half-time winner, and... What was the fifth one? And the other one. <laughs> oh, goal in minute zero to 30, right? Uh, so I tried all five of those. Four successes, one failure. If we want to start with the successes, let's start with the successes. No, let's start with the failure. Um, both teams to score in the first half, I found out all the juice, all the juice, all the markup is on the... Yes, of course it is. I mean, fave long shot bias, it's just obvious. If you've got a coupon where one side of it is... 5 to 1, 4 to 1, which is the yes, and the other side is 1 to 5, which is the no. Everyone's going to be mark, uh, betting on both teams to score in the first half yes. No one's betting on the no. Uh, so we put this coupon up, and then I looked at the table for about five coupons, and all the value was at the no. No, 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 no. It's like 30, 30 selections you've got to get through before you get to a yes. And the no's 1 to 2, so we're looking at, you know, 1.2, 1.19, 1.16, 1.15. So 1, the value's thin. 2, at those odds, it makes it impossible to stake at a high enough level to stay under the radar. Because you're now compounding 1.16 with a 1.18, with a 1.2, with a 1.14. You would need to be upping your usual stakes to the 500, 1,000 pound and higher mark to be getting the liability that you'd be used to on something like pushes. It's completely stupid, by the way. A 10,000 pound stake on that coupon would be the same as a 100 pound stake on the win both halves coupon. But the bookmakers don't know that. The people behind the counters don't know that. The traders don't even know that. And they treat them both exactly the same, even though the liability, um, the liability is the same. So... They treat, but they don't treat them exactly the same. That's what I was trying to say. Sorry. So if you tried to put ten thousand pounds over the counter, they're not going to take it. They're going to call it up. There's some shops I know that probably have handcuffs in the back and will arrest you if you try and do something like that. And then you try and put a hundred pounds on the same liability, and it'll go through and nobody blinks. It's farcical. Anyway, that coupon failed because all the juice is on the no. All the juice is on the yes. All the values on the no, and the no is one. Odds that cannot be logistically bet on at high stakes. So of the five coupons, I've ditched both teams to score in the first half. That leaves goal in minute zero to thirty, which um, I'm tracking using a historical review of hundred thousand plus games that I did across Europe and in the UK, and I just counted up all of the times that goals were in. The sample size was absolutely satisfactory enough to get um to get um 
a sort of distribution out, and there's no reason to think why that kind of distribution wouldn't just apply to all games. There's no reason to think why a particular game is more likely to have goals early or late or anything like that. The composition of the game doesn't come into it. So we've got that. We've got first half winner, which has occasional liquid markets um, on the exchange, and sometimes there's value there as well. On the markets, it can be a little bit biased, especially if there's a boost out there or just something funny is going on with that game. Uh, team to score in both halves. This is one where there's actually just it just seems to be value anywhere. So in 59 minutes time, Bohemians play Waterford, right? And um, the, on the um, team to score in both half coupons, um, Bohemians are 11 to 8, 2.38, right? Uh, and it's held. I know that because I'm on it. Now, the fair odds are 2.08. That's 113.93% EV bet. If you were to go online and look at that, the range of prices you can get online for the Bohemians to score in the first half are between 1.75 and 1.91. It's 2.38 on this coupon. Why is it 2.38 on this coupon? Because nobody's bet. They're not tracking anything. Um, they're probably just going by weight of money on this coupon. Um, Blythe Spartans, 3.4%. Top price is 2.875. Most people are down at 2.75. Fair odds, 3.22. So the top prices on the online are well under what we think the fair odds are. But 105, 106, 107% EV, and they can be compounded. You know, Fred's going in and there's all these... A load of people are getting excited. Arbors are getting excited when he's pushing a horse out to 3 to 1. When you can lay it at 3.9 on the exchange. And sitting in front of them is a coupon where Elgin to score in both halves is 2.63 on the coupon and it's held and the fair odds are 2.22 and it's 100 times the value of the push but it's hidden away it's hidden away in secret and so I love the team to score in both halves coupon it's stood up really well the prices are held uh, the, we've identified ones that are well higher than anything you can get online um, and we're compounding 120, 115, 110% EV bets. We're just getting a huge amount of value, absolutely huge value, amount of value. Team to win both halves, same, huge odds in that. Need to probably scale back the staking, otherwise we're going to sort of break over the 100,000 or 500,000 pound limit or whatever the particular shop has on the coupons. Um, yeah, and of course we're doing the usual team to win and two or more goals, team to win and three or more goals, pushes and match odds and BTTS. And now we're adding to that half time, um, team to score in both halves, team to win both halves and goal in minutes uh, zero to 30. So these are additions. Now we've got the logistical issue in the background of how we continue this um, without um, disrupting resource because um, manually typing up coupons isn't... Um, a long-term viable solution for this and uh, it would probably prevent us from exploring even further so we're sort of in a process just now where we've got um you, we can uh someone having a look at something where we can drop these coupons on dropbox and then a box will automatically ocr uh, it for us using a bit of artificial intelligence and once we can crack that and remove the manual data entry from it it's going to become a lot easier to do this regular and long term. So I thought, well, should we branch out to Paddy and Ladbrooks as well whilst we're test testing this? And we did. And everything at Paddy and Ladbrooks is as shit as it always has been. Uh, uh, even the coupons that don't have an exchange market. So, I mean, obviously the ones that do are just cut to smithereens. Top bet is 85% EV. But the ones that don't, even then, they're staying away. They're just cut to smithereens. So um, just... 
the, I don't know why I bothered. I honestly don't know why I bothered. I don't know what I was expecting. Coral, Paddy, Ladbrokes, they're just, they're just there's nothing there. Uh, we knew that years ago. We, we've given them a wide berth since. We've tried them on some new markets, and there's still nothing there. So just ignore them. So I'm just going to focus at the three, William Hill, Independence, and Betfred. But plenty of um, yeah potential excitement and opportunity on the whole, on the coupons tracker moving forward, and um, yeah, I think I'll um, dig out the results next week. I'm maybe plateaued a little bit after a good start to the season, and then last couple of weekends smashing it again. But I swear to God, we've been one goal away from a monster payday on a number of different coupons. <laughs> So, a segment for the Entropy fans out there. The law of entropy states that the universe tends towards disorder, which personally is not something that I am a particular fan of, as we discussed earlier, with the uh, with the dick who was driving a bit too fast and chaotically past my daughter's school. Uh, the law of entropy sort of states that just as he cannot cause carnage and bring chaos to the world past the school um, is exactly the same reasons many people, you know, don't like to have messy bedrooms. Um, but bedrooms don't get messy and that guy doesn't get any less chaotic unless, you know, he drives a little bit slower or we straighten them up. Uh, gases tend to disperse across a room Um even though we expect most things in this world to be of order, a lot of it is just random. Um, a little bit like cause and effect, which is a related concept to this. So as human beings, we expect to see patterns um, everywhere in the random universe um, just because it takes energy to create order. So when we see a particular pattern... We expect that we can undertake an investigation to identify the force that caused that pattern. That's how we learn new things. That's why I was slapping my hand against the window of the chap who had driven chaotically past my daughter's school because I'm trying to determine whether we can have a little bit of order in his chaotic world. But Aristotle pointed out that this line of thinking leaves us with a bit of a conundrum. If everything has a cause, then those causes must have causes that cause them, resulting in an infinite regress. We therefore must be looking for a first cause, an unmoved mover, the beginning, the randomness that starts the entropy from which the order and the disorder result. It's a cosmological argument that logically leads to the idea that every effect must have a cause. Who told us that? Um, uh, so looking for patterns is very much a human nature. Uh, Michael Drosden's best-selling book, The Bible Code, um, looked at passages of the Bible and in several passages he took the fifth letter from every sentence to reveal hidden messages and by doing this he identified passages that predicted the assassination of Yitznak Rabin uh, the rise of Adolf Hitler 
the moon landing, um, several natural disasters like earthquakes that happened centuries after the Bible was written. And once you get your head around that, and that every cause is important and meaningful, then obscure patterns become cryptic signs of prophecy. We can go and find a pattern like Hitler in an ancient text and therefore start looking for deeper implications in the work. So Frank Ramsey came onto the scene. He was a mathematician in the early 20th century uh, who died at 26, a very young age, but left behind a profound legacy. He collaborated with several other prominent economists in mathematical logic and produced important works in this area, which many economists these days call great legacies. And one of them was a field of mathematics called the Ramsey theory. And what Ramsey proved was that in order um, to have order in the universe, that order is an inevitable result of a large amount of random trials. In other words, if we have a document large enough like the Bible, then it's almost impossible not to find random samples that spell out certain messages. We go looking for it, and because through the action of looking for it, if the sample size is big enough, we will find it. We will find something. Um, and that's the problem with patterns. The human mind is incapable of swallowing them whole. And so we have to come up with some sort of storytelling for ourselves. And inevitably, what we recognize is what we went out in search of. Uh, I'm very guilty of this on in Twitter. Sometimes I can get enraged by certain woke sentiments, such as perhaps all men are racists, hashtag all men are racists. So you're telling me that my son, my three-year-old, you say what you want about me, you tell me my son's a rapist. And it really annoys me. And then I've talked to my wife about it. It's like, she doesn't see this anywhere. And the reason I find it is because I go and look for it. And of course, if there is 500 million people on the Twitter platform, at some point, someone's going to have hashtagged almost everything. And of course, lots of people are doing it purposefully to sort of rock the boat for idiots like me that go searching for woke nonsense to be annoyed about. And the same in pattern recognition. If we go and search for meaning behind a lot of random patterns, most often it is just our own selves that we will find amongst that search. Having said all of that, I have looked at some patterns on the ROI of the horse racing tracker. Now we have a very large sample size there. We have downloaded all of the plus EV horses at 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. every day for a year. Now are some prices there stale? Well, unless we were to put every single price into the bet slip on a bookmaker and press bet and have it accepted, there's no way of having 100% live prices. There's a logistical issue around that. So what we hope is that they're live enough. It would never, it would be impossible to do 100%, but I hope we've got 98%, 99% accuracy there. The same is there may be reduced place payouts if horses drop from 9 to 8 or 16 to 15, but 
it's logistically very difficult to go through 33,000 records and look at the timestamp that each one was taken and then factor in the rule for uh, adjustment that was made after that. It wouldn't be impossible. It would just be so much resource. It, at the moment, is not a cost-effective exercise. So are we over-reporting ROI? Yeah. Is it going to be by a lot? We don't think so. Tangentially, people are making a higher return on investment than our stats are showing. A lot of people are getting enhancements such as triple odds if there's a single winner, uh, best odds guaranteed. Um, if you get all winners, you get twice the payout or 10% on top or whatever. We don't account any of those in our record uh, keeping. So the data size is probably large enough to make very small um deterministic sort of analytics, heuristic analytics, looking at the data. Um, it's not huge. 33,000 isn't huge. Certainly when you start breaking it up, those subsets aren't big. Also in those 33,000 is a number of duplicate horses because we take a timestamp at six different bookmakers, Bet Fred, Bet365, William Hill, Ladbrooks, Paddy Power and Skybet. And of course a horse may be plus EV at more than one bookmaker. So it's not necessarily every horse is times seven, but it might be times two or it might be times three. So there may be in the region of ten to 20,000 unique horses in that 33,000 pound, 33,000 um, horse data set. Um, overall, we have a 5.46% return on investment. Again, compound that, you start making 10%, 20%, 30%, you know, the, the value comes in compounding. Putting them into multiples, lucky 15s, lucky 31s, doubles, trebles, whatever you like. But just singles, just flat staking singles, no Kelly staking, no fancy business, no filtering, no shenanigans, no f funny malarkey. 5.46% is the flat ROI of 33,489 horses that were taken at 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. between August 2020 and August 2021. We filtered out win ARBs, where the bookmaker price is higher than the exchange, of course, because these are not sustainable over time. Let's break down this data. The first thing that I looked at was let's start saying we uh, filter and only bet horses over certain amounts. So I tried to break the odds categories into sort of roughly uh, equal chunks, if you like. And the assumption, the sort of the theory here was that if we bet at over three to one or just over six to one, you know, if we applied a filter and just a bet above that, what would happen to the ROI? And what we see is that as we go from three to one to six to one, well, let, let's go that first jump, three to one. So if we start at 5.46% for all horses. Now let's say we only bet over 3 to 1. Well, now we have an ROI of 6.39% over 31,707 horses. You know. In total, there are 33,489 in the sample size. So that's the majority of the sample size. So we jump from 54 to 6.4% ROI just by betting on horses over 3 to 1. Why would that be? Uh, I have heard tangentially that or evidence, um, some evidence from some people that the horses that are lower prices, three to one and under, are perhaps priced with more certainty. 
or um, some people say it's very difficult. We discussed this last part uh, to make money out of them. Um, well, I would say that we certainly would make more money, 6.4% if we were betting over 3 to 1. But what if we carry on this trend? What about over 15 to 2? Well, now we're at 8% ROI and it climbs and it climbs. Over 9 to 1, we're at 11% ROI. Over 13 to 1, we're nearly at 15% ROI. In fact, we peak at 20 to 1. Applying a filter over 20 to 1, we'd have an ROI of 18.74%. And that's over 22,732 horses. So that's still 66% of the sample size. 18.74%. Over triple the amount of ROI that we get betting all of them. So maybe that could be a reasonable strategy. Maybe we filter and just target these horses are a little bit higher. What's probably going on is we're getting extra places. And these horses are simply featuring in fifth, sixth, you know, the extra place positions a lot more often. And that's where the, the additional ROI is coming from. It's these horses that sneak into the final place position. As we climb above 20 to 1, the trend does not continue. The peak ROI is a filter of 20 to 1. By the time we're at 33 to 1, we've dropped from 15% back down to 11%. And actually, we're running a negative ROI above 60 to 1. So horses at 60 to 100 to 1, 200 to 1, 300 to 1, they're losing. They're not returning any ROI. They're not finishing in those places. Betting on horses over 60 to 1 only would have returned minus 2.58% over 5,174 horses. Splitting it by bookmaker, because we are always interested in bookmakers, um, especially the ones that have shops where we can get our bets on in shops and we're not facing restrictions. Um, assuming that the 20 to 1 to 60 to 1 range is the optimal filter, we then looked at the ROI by bookmaker. Betfred has an ROI of 17.15% at 20 to 1 to 60 to 1 horses. Paddy Power actually up at 26.58%. Uh, and the very high um, priced horses over 60 to 1 Four bookmakers had a negative ROI. Bet365, William Hill, Betfred and Ladbrokes. Actually, Skybet, who are the bookmaker that offer the most amount of concessionary places, had a whopping 51.63% ROI, although notably the sample size there of horses over 61, plus EV horses over 61, is only 436 horses. So that, that could certainly just be running hot. Uh, it's a funny buck of the trend there from Skybet with the rest of the bookmakers running a negative. Um, Paddy Power is kind of a little tiny bit in profit and then Skybet's got a whopping profit, but it probably comes down to sample size. Somebody asked me to look at betting at SP. The reason was that uh, they were limited to SP uh, online and in shops. Go up to the counter, won a price, well, you've got to have the starting price. Now, the average odds of the 33 thousand horses uh, at 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. is 27 to 1 and the average price at SP is 23 to 1 that's quite a drop that's like a 12.5 percent drop in odds 27 to 1 to 23 to 1 regardless if we're filtering over 12 to 1 only at SP and of course you can't know what the SP is so be, that's an impossible strategy but assuming that you could predict what the SP was and just filtered at horses above that um, you would be showing a profit. 
In fact, that profit at over 17 to 1, 18.0 and higher, was 4.2% at SP. So there definitely seems to be potential, if limited to SP in-shop, uh, if we'd applied a strategy a year ago to walk into William Hill, Bedford, and to better SP using a particular strategy, a range of odds that we think that the SP is going to be, we, we could have realised a profit on quite a large sample size of horses. We then looked at a breakdown of ROI by country. We had... 25,304 horses in the UK, 6,087 horses in Ireland to look at, uh, with the remaining data being international racing, and the sample size there was simply too small for an ROI analysis to group into their own little uh, set. And within these horses, the ROI of all horses in the UK is 6.2%, and the ROI of all horses, the 6,000 horses in Ireland, is 2%. Um, breaking that down by ranges, the Irish horses performed a little bit better than the UK horses in the 20 to 1 to 60 to 1 range, whereas the UK horses tended to perform better in the 10 to 1 to 20 to 1 range. So what does this all mean? Well, I went in search for some patterns and I put together some graphs without commentary if you want to try and search for meaning behind any of these patterns just make sure what it's looking for isn't staring you in the mirror but is in fact caused by a tangible and measurable effect i'm not going to tell you stop betting on you, you Irish horses stop betting it under three to one in fact somebody asked me to put together ROI graphs um, by country not sorry by day of the week and by time so as we know we download the data at 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. roughly sometimes it's quarter to 11 sometimes it's quarter you know what I mean but, well 20,000 Horses were plus EV at 11 a.m. They had an ROI of just under 4%. 13,000 horses were plus EV in the afternoon. And they had an ROI of 8%. That's double. By day of the week. The best day of the week. With a sample size of 4,179. Tuesday, 9%. The worst day of the week. Wednesday. With minus two percent what does that mean probably nothing it probably means absolutely nothing it is not like the traders are pricing up well on wednesdays and really badly on tuesdays but maybe the reflection in the mirror is telling you otherwise i encourage anybody searching for patterns and meaning from data trying to separate some signal from a lot of noise to go over to Amazon and get uh, Nate Silver, owner of 538.com. Nate Silver was a statistician who in 2010 correctly predicted the results of the election in all 50 out of 50 states. That's some, that's some going. Ex-poker player, 
actually ran very, very deep in the $10,000 limit WSOP uh, limit hold'em event recently. Uh, and he has a book, The Signal and the Noise. And for anyone trying to find meaning in data, I encourage them to get hold of that book and to give it a read. I'm going to ask for the second time in maybe five or six podcasts. I'm going to ask the question, why you're a prick? I want you to think about the answer to this as well. Okay? Why are you a prick? Um, If you want some suggestions, and I have quite a few, you're a prick. Probably because you're a child. That's why you're a prick. You're a prick because your safety and security is somebody else's problem. Because you work 70 hours a week. And then complain incessantly that you're tired and have no time for your friends or your family. Why exactly are you working 70 hours a week? You're a prick because you don't exercise enough. You're possibly a prick because you exercise way too much. But if you do none, you're stressed. There was an interesting Joe Rogan he was uh, he had a professor of longevity like a proper actual professor uh, and he was asked what are the three things that promote longevity and the first is by far do not smoke if you smoke you're a prick i used to smoke i smoked for 15 years and the only reason i quit is because my body started wanting to quit i would wake up in the morning with heavy lungs um in a dry throat, and I am probably now the most anti-smoker person out of everyone, including people um, that never smoked. But one thing that Duncan, through the 20 years that I saw him, he would always come up to me when I was smoking and say, when are you going to quit? And now I say that to everybody that I see smoking. Fortunately, vaping is helping, and society and culture is probably changing, and fewer people are smoking as technology improves. But if you smoke, you're a prick like how I was if you drink too much you're a prick if you don't drink enough you're probably one as well you certainly are one if you don't take enough risks and if you know the financial deficit a little bit like Kevin from accounts and if you care too much about immigration and you don't care enough about immigrants and you forget what like life was like when you slowed down and stopped worrying about tomorrow. The everlasting cycle of exams and promotions and reviews and peer reviews and nicer cars and company cars and the new BMW and the improved BMW and the BMW with the CD changer and the BMW with the MP3 player and then you retire and you realise that none of that was important. The overperformance in your PDR and the underperformance and the undercommitment that you have in your role in your family. The kindness that you had when you were a child running around the playground that is now lost. And the echo in your soul when you search for it. The resistance training that you think you should take up one day, but you've still never picked a barbell up. That'll keep you youthful and it will keep you happy. So grow up. Or as Steve Bruce once wisely told me, just fuck off, son. 
work less and love more, eat well and drink less, and also drink more when there are lots of friends around. Find the time to spend time with them and listen to them and your kids because you don't know as much as they do, despite the fact that they're three and five. Exercise a little bit more. And if you're still exercising more, exercise a little bit more, but don't be that guy. And focus on being less stressed. It's so important. Stop searching for all men are rapists on Twitter and turn off your phone and be present. If you're going out for dinner, I've done it before, collect everyone's phones, turn them off and put them in a bag. Ask the person next to you how they're doing out of 10. And no matter what they say between 1 and 10, ask them why. Be a shining beacon of light to everyone around you. In summary, family, undercommitment, kindness, echoes and resistance. And most of all, stop looking for patterns in random information.